dress up the things that we do because, because we don't want to give them up, right? Like, that's, like, we do this. Even as followers of Jesus, we do this. We have all sorts of darkness that we're just not willing to, to let the light get at and expose. But see, God is saying, like, no, you don't have to do that. In fact, you can be free of that. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in, in the power of the Holy Spirit and be free from the darkness that you're, you're, you're running back into. See, this is good news, Redeemer. We got we to gotta catch this. This is good news. Let's, let's keep going here. The text continues, and it says that the true light was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so, so a question that immediately comes to mind is, what does John mean by the world? And, and while the term itself refers to the created order, the context carries a negative connotation. The world he was coming into, the world he was in, the world that was made through him, is a world that is now in rebellion against its maker. But you know what's wild? John tells us just in a couple of chapters that the very world that was in rebellion against its maker is the very world he loves. Right? Are we grasping how, how overwhelmingly powerful that is? And one commentator said it like this. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, the point of talking about the world is not so much to talk about the, the bigness or vastness of the world, but to talk about the bigness and vastness of God's love. That, that the world, like, for God so loved the world, like, we see that verse, right? Like, you know, we see it at football games, whatever. And, you know, I know that that's a tough subject for some people, football right now, but we're on. That's, that's besides the point. Besides the point. We see this verse. Like, this is one of those verses that we all know. But we actually miss what it's saying. It's not saying, like, man, the world's so great and God loves it. He created it. It's very good. Yeah, like, no, the world is in rebellion against God. Yet he loves us anyway. The world is in rebellion against God, yet he loves us anyway. It's a statement of the vastness and greatness of his love. That is such good news. It's not because there's anything so special about me that, that, that I, I warrant this love. But he loves me. But he loves me. The text says that the world did not know him. Might be better to read this as the world did not recognize him or acknowledge him. And not only does this world, our world, fail to recognize or acknowledge him, but his very own. The Jewish people who were entrusted with the privilege of representing God to all of humanity, they did not receive him. It says that the true light, which he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then he, he kind of narrows it down a little bit. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Now, now this is really important, and I need to make this point immediately. This text cannot, in any way, shape, or form, be used to support or affirm any sort of anti-Semitism. Right? It just can't. It, it just doesn't make any sense of the entire Bible. Right? Because first, the New Testament church were all Jewish believers. Jesus himself was Jewish. And the Gospel of John is a book written to primarily a Jewish audience. And so this has been used in history to, to kind of point finger at the Jewish people. But that's not, you can't, you can't do it. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. It's not, and, and sadly, it's still used for that purpose. And, and we need to be careful that we don't allow this kind of mentality to sneak in in any way, shape, or form. And see, that's how sin kind of works. It just kind of sneaks in. 
And that doesn't necessarily only relate to, to how one might view, view Jewish people, but to, to anyone who might be different than us. There can't be anything that sneaks into our brain that we allow to place us in a position of, of superiority to anyone else. That's just, it's just, that's just absent from the Bible. It doesn't exist in here, so we can't do that. Furthermore, one of the points that John is making is that both the world and the Jewish people were blind to his coming. Paul makes this point in Romans 3.9, for we have already charged that all, both the Jewish people and Greeks, are under sin. What John wants us to understand, as we read verses 10 through 11, is that this world has turned in on itself to such a degree that we don't even recognize the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, as Pastor Tim referenced just a few minutes ago. That darkness has so pervaded what God once called very good that seeing the light is more painful than it is refreshing. That seeing the light is more painful than it is refreshing. And so we run from the light. We do what C.S. Lewis describes in his essay, and I have a quote for this, the weight of glory. We become half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I would go further. It's not even that we cannot imagine a holiday at the sea, but we ridicule and mock it because we believe that the darkness and all it has to offer us is actually the better thing. And I think we do this as followers of Jesus, too. It's why we, we sometimes hide the darkness of our life from others. Because we actually believe in our hearts that that's a better path forward. And what God is, is, is trying to teach us right now as we, as we wrestle through this text, that you have to, we have to, Allow the light of Christ to expose all of us. We can't hide from God. Right? And that's the story of, of, of the fall, right? Like if you remember, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, what did, what did Adam and Eve do? They, they hid from God. They, they made their own sort of covering to, 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 to hide their, their nakedness from God. And God's like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing that? Why, why? Like, come, come to me. You don't have to hide. You don't, you don't have to pretend like you didn't do it. You don't have to dress it up and make it look better. Just, just come. Just come to me. It's okay. I want to read to you from Luke, uh, the story of the prodigal son. I'm just going to read the first couple of um, verses from it. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. I have a slide if you want to look up or you can turn to your Bibles. He says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything. A severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. 
Right? So, so, so the prodigal son leaves his father's home. He takes his inheritance, probably a lot, because as we'll see in a few minutes, it seems like the, 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 the father in this story was, was quite wealthy. And he squanders it all, and he's begging. Right? He's out in the world, he's begging for someone to come and give him something. And, and the text says, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Because in the darkness... No one's given us anything. When we run from the Father, when we say like, no, 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 God, like, I'm going to keep this for me, there's nothing there, right? The emperor has no clothes. And, and we're deceived by it, right? Because as C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. We can't even imagine what the gift would be like. We can't even fathom it. No one gave him anything. The story doesn't end there. Verses 12 through 13, it says this, back in John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice the conjunction, but we have an adversative statement here. There's a group who are of this world, who have entrusted themselves to the darkness, who are in, you know, with the pigs and, 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 and begging, yet finding nothing because no one's giving them anything. So much so, this darkness that, that, they're, that they're in, that they just keep pushing the light further and further away. They want nothing to do with it, right? I, I'm imagining, like, how am I feel if you're asleep in the morning, it's Saturday morning, your spouse or your kid or your roommate, they flip the lights on, right? Has this ever happened to you? And what do you do? You bury your head deep into the covers to shield yourself from the light, right? That's what we do. I mean, it's what I do because I don't want to be awoken at that particular moment. But then there's this other group, a group who receives the light and believes in his name. They receive the light and believe in his name. And this sort of belief, in the words of D.A. Carson, it yields allegiance to the word. It trusts him completely, acknowledges his claims, and confesses him with gratitude. That is what it means to receive him. Right? There's this faith, this other group experiences where they cast themselves completely onto the love of Christ, into the light. They're saying, Lord, you can have everything. And then this group, they're given this privilege of becoming, becoming the covenant people of God. We become his kids. We become his kids. This needs to do something to us, Redeemer. This needs to stir in us a little bit. We become children of God. And see, this kind of love, it doesn't make any sense. It's the same kind of love described in 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what manner of love, see what sort of love that's been lavished upon us that we might be called children of God. In other words, what in the world? 
What kind of love is this? You mean you want to adopt me? You want to make me your kid? But, but what about when I, or that time when I did, or, or surely you have to know about whatever. And the entire time we're trying to think of all the reasons why we shouldn't be adopted into his family, the father is running towards us. He's running towards us with his arms wide open. Check out what it says in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read all of it. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, or he's, he's rehearsing the speech, right? You've heard this preach before. He's kind of going through in his head. He's like, I'm going to go home. Like, I know my father's going to be ticked at me. Like, I got I to gotta prepare. I got to get it all out there. I got to make him understand. And he says this. I, I, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's the speech he, he, he rehearses. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long, off, a long way off, his father sees him, feels compassion, runs towards him, embraces him, and kisses him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Like, like the son is in the middle of the speech and he's like, shut up, just give me a hug. Like you're home and I love you. I don't care what you did. It's done. It's over. And that's what he's saying to us. It does, he doesn't care anymore. It's, it's, it's been forgiven. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for our sin. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what that doesn't mean, it doesn't prevent us from entering into the family of God. And it doesn't prevent us from being loved and received by God. Even those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are hiding some stuff in the darkness, Jesus is saying, just let me in. I'm not going to think any differently of you. I love you. That's good news. That's what true light does for us. It's an open invitation to come and receive him. And he will clean us up. He'll do that. And when we mess it all up again, he will clean us up again. Right? How many times do we go into our kids' rooms when they're babies, when they're toddlers, when they're older, and, and we don't just feel like, that's the last time I'm going to change your diaper. That's it. You've, you've done it one too many times. We don't do that. Because we love our kids. That kind of love has been lavished upon us by Almighty God. That kind of love. That we should be called sons and daughters of God. Children of God. Adopted into his family. Forgiven. Welcomed at the table, mess and all. That is such good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That is such good news. And check it out. Like, it, it keeps going. Right? The best robe, 
rings on his finger, shoes on his feet, a feast with some of the best food and drink money could buy, but that wasn't the point. Because there's something bigger that this is all driving toward. I mean, honestly, I bet that before he found himself eating with the pigs, that, in his, that his inheritance afforded him some of the most luxurious items that money could buy. Right? For however long he had his inheritance for, I'm sure he was living it up. But look at what the text says. Those who received him, who became children of God, it says, get back there, it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This didn't happen through, through some kind of, kind of intermingling of blood. It wasn't through our own will, nor through the will of a husband and wife consummating a marriage. Those of us who have become children of God, the text says we have been born of God. Born of God. What we're not going to do this morning is have a discussion about predestination. That's not the point. There's something more important going on here. To be born of God is to be filled with the presence of God. To be born of God is to be filled with the presence of God, to be filled with his Holy Spirit fully alive and in communion with him. To flee the darkness into the arms of the Father is to receive the greatest gift of all, the very presence and power of God. That's what happens, Redeemer. That's how it works. This is what it means to be born again, right? And I know that in some circles, this is a derogatory word, right? And, 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 and you know what? There might even be some reason why it's a derogatory word because, because there are some people who have, who have blasphemed the name of God yet uphold his name, right? Some of the people that Vivian might have been talking about um, that, that turned her off to people who were trying to like fight abortion but were doing it in a way that was just unloving. Like there are people in this world who... who who wear the banner of Christ, but don't exhibit anything that looks remotely like him. But we can't give up that term because that's, one, it's Bible word, and two, it teaches us something so massively important. The Holy Spirit resides in us. The power of the resurrection resides in us. That's what the Bible says. To be born of God is to be filled with his presence, with his power, and to have a deeply formed relationship with him. That's massively important that we wrap our minds around that. And so we don't just get a holiday at the sea, but we get to walk with and delight in the one who spoke the seas into existence and calms them by the word of his mouth. We get God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get God. We get God. And all that goes with it. Because the prodigal son, he got that hug from his dad. He got, he got a restored relationship with dad. And he also got the robe, the ring, and all the stuff. Like, he also got the benefits of being in communion with God. We get salvation. Our sins are forgiven. We get the promises of God lavished upon us. We get to have an intimate and personal relationship with Almighty God through the power of the Spirit and the work of his son, Jesus. That's what we get. This is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. And we got we to gotta fight for that. 
We got to allow the spirit, the light of Christ to expose us, to get into every single corner of our lives and say, give that to me, give that to me, give that to me. And we need to say, yes, take it, Lord, take it, take it. My prayer for our church, my prayer for me, my prayer for my family, my prayer for this community of faith is that we would be a people so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, that we would be so overwhelmed by the presence of God, because guess what? He's here. He's in our midst. This is what the Bible teaches us. Revelation says that the lampstand, which is Jesus, is in the midst of the seven churches. The seven churches are the full church, complete, right? He's here. And he wants to lavish his grace and his love and his power upon us. He wants to work. He wants to work. And, and my prayer is that we would continue to walk and allow him to have his way with us completely. That we would flip the lights on in the darkness of every single part of who we are and allow everything to be exposed so that we can just enjoy the wonderful presence of God and fall more and more in love with him. Because as we do that, guess what? We're going to become a people that, like, you can't stop. That's what's going to happen. It's how it works. It's good news. It's good news. At Redeemer Fellowship, we talk about how we exist to share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. This morning, we spent a lot of time talking about loving God. A lot of time. Because the reality is that if we fail to grasp that, then there is no way we will embody the other. There's just no way. But that's probably still missing the point. Because that turns God into a means to some other end. Right? It turns God into a means to, to being a better neighbor, to being uh, more missional is, is a buzzword that's been used in churches throughout the years, or being more you know, oriented towards event, whatever. Right? It, it again turns God into a means for some other end. He is our end. He is our end. And we must throw ourselves onto him in full trust and allegiance. And in so doing, little by little, He's going to change us. He's going to form us. And when we least expect it, he's going to use us to show the world what God's like so that others might drink deeply of his love. I said this from the beginning that John deals a lot on the individual level. He's really hammering this out. The question we need to wrestle with is do we want the light of Christ to truly expose us for who we are? That's a question that us as followers of Jesus need to ask. And that's a question if there's anyone here who has yet to put their trust and faith in Christ that they need to ask. Are you willing to receive the light or do you love the darkness that much? that you're going to hang there. And the wild thing about it is, is that, is that we, his creation, we really have become so in love with darkness that we, we've just become blind. 
to the maker. We become blind to the Father, to the work of God. And he's, he's tapping us now. He's saying, open your eyes, come to me. Let the light shine completely into your life, whatever it is. Whatever darkness you're holding back, whatever it might be, darkness has a way of manifesting itself in a variety of ways. Whether you feel you're superior to others because of some odd reason, whether it's a a struggle of lust that you might have, whether it's a struggle of anger, bitterness, whatever it is, he wants to shine the light on it and he wants you to come to him so he can release you from it. That's what he wants to do. That's good news. That's good news. He wants to work in us. Are we willing to allow him to do the work? This is the question that is is being forced upon us as we wrestle through this text. Do we want the light? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we we truly do love you. And I do pray, Father, that your spirit would fall upon this place in such a powerful and particular way, Lord God. That our eyes would be opened, all of our eyes, Lord God. I'm preaching to myself here. Um, I need your grace. I need your light. I need your power. I I need all of that, Lord God. We all need all of that. I thank you for Redeemer Fellowship. I thank you for the willingness of this church to to hear from your word, to follow you, to put you to the test, Lord God. Um, I thank you for that. I I pray, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, Lord, that this would just be an opportunity to just revel in our salvation, that your body and your blood was broken and shed for us so that we might have life and that our darkness might be overcome by light. We love you with all of our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.